Before we get started, I want to say if you have a student between grades 6 and 12, I would encourage you, our camp is coming up, and we love camp around here at Sojourn, and our students do too. So if you will, um, if you have a student between those grades, our encouragement is if, if you want, they want to go or you want them to go, sign up this week. This is the last possible week. So our middle schoolers are going to what's called Crossings Camp. It's um, about 45 minutes away from here. It's an awesome camp ran by the Kentucky Baptist Convention. They have blobs, zip lines, huge pond, a great worship and great teaching. And it's just going to be a, really all, our middle schoolers really love this camp. And our high schoolers are going to our first ever Sojourn Student Camp, meaning our team and our staff are leading the camp. We're creating the curriculum. We're inviting a speaker. And we're going to the Blue Ridge Mountains just east of Asheville, North Carolina. It's going to be awesome. It's, it's going to be the, some of the coolest times um, I've ever experienced in my life. I've been camping. I met my wife at camp. I love camp. It's, it's an awesome place. So if you have and you want, or you want to sign up for that camp, we leave, our camp leaves for the middle schoolers 14th to the 18th, and our high schoolers 13th to the 17th of June. So if you want to sign up for that, there will be actually be a computer at the welcome desk after the service for you to sign up, um, get registered for camp, or get the information for camp, or just come talk to me, or if you know a student leader, you can talk to them. All right? All right, Jonah 4. So what we've been doing, we've been traveling through this book of Jonah, and we've learned that Jonah's a really complex guy. He's got a lot of mess in his life. He's got a lot of sin in his life. And what happens in this story is that God goes after Jonah to send him to Nineveh. It's Nineveh's this really wicked city. Nineveh is a place where terrorism and, and wickedness and cruelty are, are the norm. And so Jonah, instead of going to Nineveh, he goes the other direction. He goes the other direction. He gets on this boat, and God causes a big storm to cause a, 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 almost wreck this boat. And so the sailors throw Jonah overseas, over the, over the ship, into the sea. And as he's drowning... He cries out to the Lord, we see in chapter 2, and the Lord rescues him with a big fish. And he cries out to the Lord and the fish, and the fish spits him up on the dry ground, and then God comes to Jonah again and says, hey, I need you to go to Nineveh. So go. So Jonah goes, as we saw last week, and he says five words, and the whole city repents. The whole city turns from their wickedness and turns to God. And that's where we pick up this story. The thing about this story is it makes sense if it just ended in chapter 3. Like, God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. He runs, but God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh again. He goes, they repent, hoorah, story over, next sermon series. But that's not what happens. We get a chapter 4. And here's why I think having a chapter 4 is comforting for you and me. Because for most of us, the Christian life doesn't look like I rebelled, I turned, I did what God told me to do, and it got easier. For most of us, when we turned our life to Jesus, life got harder. The Christian growth got frustrating. We had no idea what we were supposed to do. We're, we're like a, a kid lost and had nowhere to go. And the reason chapter 4 is relieving is that the Bible meets reality. The Bible gives a character that matches and say, hey, I kind of, I'm kind of like that. It doesn't set this bar and say, hey, everybody in the Bible is perfect. So as we step in today, 
In chapter 2, I asked the question, how can we change? How can we go from one direction to another? This morning, I want to ask the question, how can we grow? If the Christian life is so hard, how is it possible to do this life with all the sin, all the misery, and all the frustration around us? So what I want to do is I want to offer two observations. Let's go over the story, and then I'll come back and offer two implications for you and me in the Christian life. Two observations, two implications for our Christian walk. So if you're able and willing, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to start reading in verse 1 of chapter 4. The text will be in your bulletin, also on the screen. Hear the Word of the Lord. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? Why is, this is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take my life away, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at the place east of the city. There he made for himself a shelter, sat down in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade to his head and ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm in which chewed the vine so that it withered, and the sun rose, as the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed over Jonah's head that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, Do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. The Lord said, You have been concerned about the vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Shall I not be concerned about this great city? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you use this passage to be a mirror for our own lives. And we see Jonah and see ourselves. Do work through your word and your servant this morning, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So I'll make two observations this morning about this story. First observation is this. Is see Jonah's hypocrisy. See Jonah's hypocrisy. See, look in verses 1 of chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased and came angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is it not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarsus. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life away, for it's better for me to live, better for me to die than to live. We've seen it, right? We've been in the marketplace or the grocery store or the, or the Walmart. We've been walking down the aisle. We hear this crying belt, like this, this noise that couldn't be heard from the whole store. It's the toddler in the floor of the aisle throwing a tantrum. You either experience it as a parent or as an observer, and you're like so much empathy for this couple, like there's nothing they can do. 
They might as well drop their cart and walk out. There's no shopping done the rest of that day. Clothes are coming off. Shoes are coming off. And, and what happens, with, the reason they throw that tantrum is because they didn't get what they want. They wanted a toy or a, a cereal or a candy bar. They wanted something and they did not get it. Well, Jonah here is throwing a temper tantrum. This is probably the biggest hissy fit in the Bible. He gets mad because he didn't get his way. Because he did exactly what God told him to do. God, in chapter 1 of Jonah, says, Go preach against Nineveh. Go send my judgment upon them. Warn them of my judgment. He does exactly that. But he expects judgment to fall upon them. But they all repent. He does exactly what God tells him to do, but doesn't get the product he actually wants. So he throws a fit. He even says, I wish I could die. He'd rather die than see Nineveh live. It's a quick note. Isn't it interesting that Jonah would rather die than see people live, but Jesus died so that we could live? In this whole story, Jonah is literally the opposite of Jesus. God sent Jonah, God sent Jonah into Nineveh and he complained and didn't want to go, went the other way. God sent Jesus into the world and he goes with joy. Jesus is sitting on a boat and there's a storm and the disciples are freaking out and they say, hey, God, Jesus, do something about this. And he stands up and calms the seas. Jonah's asleep in the boat and they throw him overboard. <laughs> Jonah looks at the Nineveh city and doesn't want, their, doesn't want their salvation at all. And Jesus looks over Jerusalem and weeps for their salvation. Jonah has some mess going on. And many of you here, y'all know people like Jonah, right? Maybe you're here and you're a visitor and you have been visiting for a few weeks or you've been coming for a while. But you're very familiar with Christians just like Jonah. People who, who claim a, a strong faith but are real jerks. You've been hurt really bad. And for you to walk in these doors takes a lot of bravery because a place like this is where you've experienced the most pain. And to you, I just want to say I'm sorry. On behalf of the kingdom, I'm sorry. There's no excuse. But at the same time, I want to declare this is not a perfect church. This is a place full of Jonas. And I just want to encourage you that this place is going to be messy if you step in. But at the same time, it's beautiful. It's the place where it's okay not to be okay. It's a place that, that your brokenness is the norm. But at the same time, we want this place to be a place where it's healing happens. Encouragement happens. We want this place to be a hospital for hypocrites. And as you step in, my prayer is that you find mercy and grace and heal from that pain you've experienced. And for you Christians in here, or you people, that, that, some of you that, that see Jonah as kind of a character that you should judge, we need to do a little self-awareness, right? We, need, we may not hate a whole city, but we have bitterness toward a family member. We may not complain about big things, but if we um, 
don't get that job that we prayed about, but the person you think less Christian is, you grumble. We grumble. We may not be just like Jonah and hating a whole population, but we have a lot of selfishness and bitterness in our hearts. We must not find Jonah as this obscure character. We must find him familiar. We must see Jonah as a mirror. Jonah did exactly what God wanted him to do, but he didn't get the product he wanted. We do that every day, right? We complain about daily things. We wish would happen. We don't like the product that God gave us. Our prayer is that we own that. We own our hypocrisy. We own the gap. But notice that God meets Jonah right in the midst of his hypocrisy. So the first observation is that Jonah's hypocrisy, our second observation, is God's care. Look at, start, just start in verse 4 of chapter 4. The Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? He doesn't come down from the clouds like Exodus and storm and freak him out. He asks him a question. Hey, you have any right to be angry? It's like one of those trap questions mom used to ask. She, she knew exactly what you did, but she's going to ask you anyway. You have any right to be angry? Obviously, no. Then he, then he goes on and says, yes, I'm so angry I want to die. Like, you got to think about this. Like, why Jonah? There's millions of people. There's multiple prophets. God could have chose anybody. He chose Jonah. I mean, if it was me and you and we're God, we're getting rid of this knucklehead. Like, over you, next. But God goes after him. The whole story, even this passage, God is after Jonah. The story of Jonah isn't necessarily even about Nineveh or even about Jonah. The story of Jonah is about God's chasing after Jonah. He asks him a question. He steps into his world. He loves him like a father and a pastor. Then he he provides this tree. He gives him a shelter. And Jonah really likes his tree. He's chilling, wanting the city to burn. He's hanging out and and he's wanting, and then the, the tree is gone. He throws another hissy fit. Like he didn't have nothing to do with the tree. But he complained about it. And God just patiently, pastorally, cares for Jonah. You'd think, like, like Jonah's done the three chance thing. Like this is like 17, chance 17. And God's still after him. Still questioning him. Still reaching for him. For some of us, we, we get that, that God's chasing after us. God loves us because it's kind of a theological concept that we believe. We've seen the words that the God loves me because the Bible tells me so. So our, our idea that God loves us isn't the problem. For most of us, isn't that God loves us, it's that God likes us. For most of our, for you, for me, in the Christian faith, we constantly think God's frustrated with us. We think God's annoyed with us. 
I was rude to my wife, therefore God is frustrated with me today. I was harsh to my kids, therefore God's frustrated with me today. Didn't read my Bible or pray. I miss church. God's frustrated with me today. And we live in this, this circumstance that we live in the shame and guilt that God is annoyed and frustrated and He doesn't want to be near me. We've turned God into some kind of boss that's really mad at us and gives us daily reviews. We've set a bar that, that cannot be, be, be met by us that God didn't put there. We get that God loves us, but our problem is not that God loves us. We, we need to know that God likes us. God's not merely, He's not just tolerating you. He's, he's not constantly frustrated with you. He loves you. Just like Jonah, he's constantly after Jonah. One of the beautiful things I have having a church with a lot of young couples is that we have a lot of babies. And those babies end up on social media, right? Because we're proud of them. And the beautiful videos, some of the most awesome videos is the baby's first steps. Like the baby takes, like he has his, a head larger than his body, so his, his momentum's going forward anyway, so he takes a step or dies. So, so he's stepping forward, and he steps, and he falls. One thing that I've never seen in those videos is a dad that sees his, sees his son or daughter take those steps in that second step, in that third step, and falls, and he goes, what the heck? You're better than that. This is not what I made you for. We have the excellence that goes here, and you're here. No, it's like, like the, the kid just won the Super Bowl. It's the proudest moment in the parent's life. Listen, listen. God rejoices in every single step you take. We have this view of God that's just, he's like constantly on us. And, hey, you need better, you need better, you need better. No, he's, he's cheering us on. He's rejoicing in the step we take. And when we fall, he picks us up. He's rooting for us. He's after us. I got to play football for over 15 years of my life. And I have some great memories in that winning, losing, big games, small games. My greatest memory is after every single game, we, we get in the middle of the field and the different coaches did the same thing. They had this speech. They tell us either we sucked or we're great. And then after that spill, I'd stand up, take off my shoulder pads, put them next to me. I turn around, and my dad's right there. Every game, every game, he'd come up to me, he'd pick up my pads, put his arm around me. You good? I'm good. He'd walk me to my locker room, wait for me afterwards. One of the things about my dad is that I can never, ever remember having a talk or conversation about my performance. And in high school, he had like a handheld camera zoomed in on me. He never once had a conversation with me about my performance. Because his fanhood of me was not rooted in my performance. It was rooted in me being his son. Listen, listen. God is not just your savior. He's your biggest fan. He's behind you. He's rooting for you. He loves you. 
we have to get out of this mindset that we're constantly frustrating God. He's after you. He's rooting for you. He has the eternal perspective on you. Know that. This morning, know that. But also know that God's love for you and God's grace for you should not spur laziness, right? doesn't mean we can just do whatever we want. Because the baby pictures and video videos of kids walking are adorable. I can do them. I can watch them all day long. But if you roll up in Sojourn Students with a healthy 11-year-old, one of those baby backpacks, we're probably having a conversation. God's grace sends you on a trajectory. And so some of us, that trajectory is very bumpy. Most of us, that trajectory is very bumpy. But God's grace is a launching pad for our effort. So two observations from this text is that we are hypocrites just like Jonah. And we are cared for just like Jonah. So from those observations, circle back. I'm going to give you two implications for your Christian walk. Two implications. First, step in. Step in. Think about it. Did God know Jonah was a mess before he ever talked to him in Jonah chapter 1? Yes. Did God know Jonah was going to be a mess in chapter 4? Yes. So how did God teach Jonah something? How did God form Jonah? He asked him to step in. He asked him to do something. When we step in, we're, we're being formed. We're being Mood, we're being, we're being sculpted by God. And some of us think we have to go through this curriculum, class, or pathway, or process to become a servant. I'm not equipped. I, don't, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. If anybody needed a curriculum in class, it was Jonah. When we step in, we're being formed. One of the reasons we're being formed is that we're formed when we're most uncomfortable. If you stay comfortable the rest of your life, you, you will not experience the grace that God has for you. Sacrifice forms us. When you step into Sojourn Kids, you're going to get frustrated a lot. You'll get annoyed a lot, but God is forming you. We step in a community group, you step in the parking team, you step into hospitality, you will be, you, you'll be uncomfortable. But in that, God is forming you. The next reason that, that God forms us when we step in is that when we do God's mission, when we take part in God's mission, we're becoming more closer to God. God is at work, and when we join Him and His work, we are closer to the Father. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, good works in which he prepared beforehand. God wants you to work, because when we work, we get near to Jesus. You're formed when you're uncomfortable. You're formed when you step closer to Jesus. You're also formed when you see other people impacted by grace, right? When you just, even when you just hand a meal or hand a dollar or serve a parent, See somebody baptized, you had a little role in, right? 
It forms you. Step in, and you'll experience God and His grace on another level. After we step in, my encouragement is for you to see. See, how did God teach Jonah a lesson? The first time He gives personal, moral instruction to Jonah, He plants a tree. This is so odd. If you don't, if you get normalized to this, it's you shouldn't. Like he plants a tree and takes it down within a day. Like you think God's like really mean, but he's teaching Jonah a lesson, meaning that he wants this tree. Jonah, if you care about this tree so much, how much do you think I care about this city? You had no responsibility over this tree. You didn't plant it. You didn't water it, and you didn't take it down. It's not yours to begin with. God in his creativity gives Jonah a visual. He helps Jonah see his character. He helps Jonah see who he really is. I care about this tree, but I care way more about the city. And I argue that our tree is this church. God's visual representation of his character played out is the people sitting next to you in your pews, in your seats. God has given us a display of his character by giving us a church. You want to experience God on a different level? When you step in a community group and you see somebody suffer, when you see somebody rejoice, when you celebrate a child, when you go to a funeral, when, when, when you see somebody growing that's just a young Christian, and to be honest with you guys, I feel a lot like Jonah. I can spit off some theology for you. I can talk about the Trinity. I can talk about how God and Jesus are one being but two persons. I can talk about why Jesus is the Son of God. But in my marriage, I'm a mess. It feels like middle school over again, overwhelmed and confused. Constantly. But when I see marriages ahead of us, I'm formed. When I see people going through a hard time, I'm formed. When I see a couple that just became Christians recently getting married, I'm formed. God is forming us through community by seeing the gospel displayed in others' lives. I got an awesome degree from a seminary that's awesome. It trained me for four years. I have no regrets about the seminary. But in those years, the best pastoral training was working for Eddie Evans. You've seen a man and a dad and a husband and a pastor. We were formed by watching, by stepping into community. You want to experience God on a different level? Watch people worship that's going through a hard time. You know it. We see it. Serve communion. Everybody takes a piece of bread and dips in the juice, but you know that handshaking the week they just had. God wants to form you through watching. But notice, listen, these are not fixes. 
if you go into this process saying, I did A and I did B, when you get 12, <laughs> you're really frustrated. These are rhythms. These are not fixes. Our frustration comes in our spiritual growth when we start looking in our mirror and weighing our scale every day. Like, I gained weight this week. What's the deal? You think you've gotten worse before you've gotten better. These are not daily examinations. We should measure, measure our growth like we measure, our moms measured our height when we were little, put notches in the doorways every year at our birthday. We don't measure our growth by looking at ourselves in the mirror. We measure our growth by looking backwards. We measure our growth by saying, hey, I am not what I'm supposed to be, but I'm not who I was. If you measure your growth every day and compare yourself to such and such and such and such, you'll live in misery. And when you do discipleship and you try to serve somebody and you expect them to grow every day, you'll be frustrated. Ministry is over the long haul. We don't expect a baby to start running at eight months. Slowly, gets stronger, gets healthier, starts playing the little ball, starts doing cute stuff, starts running. And all of a sudden, he's an 18-year-old, and you forgot how that happened. Because growth happens over time. You must, you must remember that, or you'll live in frustration. But notice how the story ends. But he says, I love these people, 120,000. Should I not care for them and their cattle? So weird. <laughs> I, think that was, I think God's humorous in that past. I love their cows too. And then it ends. Like there's, We don't know how Jonah ended up. We don't know if Jonah repented. We don't know if he went down the trajectory that we think he, he may have stayed the same. But I think the book ends like this for a particular reason. To inform us that Jonah's story is not over. I think God wants to tell you also, neither is yours. Neither is yours. Zach, you don't know my story. You don't know the, the path I went down. I went, my elevators went to the rock bottom. Your story's not over. Neither is Jonah's. You don't know the pain I'm in, Zach. I don't. Your story's not over. The question is, will you finish the race? Step in and see. You'll find grace like you never experienced it before. If you're here and you're not a Christian, in this passage, also see God's care for Nineveh, a wicked and wretched city, and his heart breaks for them. He does for you as well. You, your story may be of a divorce or an abortion or of drugs or alcohol. And God says, I want you. Turn to me and I'll have you. If you want to talk about what it means to be a Christian, my encouragement to come up front or talk to one of our pastors and we'll talk to you today. 
Find somebody at the welcome table. We'll talk to you today about what it looks like to be a Christian. God will have you. Christians, step in and see. Let's pray.